Hello, and welcome to the Problem With Men podcast. The podcast where we explore the issues that face modern men. As an independent podcast, we rely on your support. So please leave a review, share us with a friend, or consider making a PayPal donation to keep us going. Details are in the episode description. In this episode, we're looking at fatherhood. Although perceptions are moving, parenting is still seen predominantly as the mother's domain. Things are changing, and lockdown, working from home, and a trend of pushing for a better work-life balance has sped up the ability for fathers to be more active in their kids' lives. But there is still the imbalance of paternity leave, and sometimes a father-daughter trip to the park can lead to calls to the police. We're lucky to have been able to speak to five dads about their journey to parenthood, the joys and anxieties of fatherhood, what they get out of being an active parent, and crucially, we've even managed to get a couple of dad jokes. You're listening to the Problem With Men podcast. We all know starting a family is a big deal. We've all heard about the sleepless nights, messy nappies and endless costs. So when is the right time to start a family? For us, yeah, I, I kind of wanted, I definitely wanted to be a dad at some point. Jim Coulson is a dad of two and has blogged about his experiences at bewilderdad.com. And it, would, it was one of those things where it's never seemed really the right time for a long time. You know, there's a time when we were living in London for a bit and that didn't really seem the right time to have kids. And then uh, we moved up north and it's just starting kind of a job there and it just didn't seem right we got married for a bit and then well we got married for, for a bit we got married not for a bit um and uh and we had a bit of time then and it just you know never seemed like a time when everything was quite right and i think you get to a point where you realize i don't think there's ever going to be a perfect time you're never going to have that perfect job um so we um yeah so we decided that we'd have kids Andy Ahmed Welsh is a parent of two kids and recently moved in with his current partner and her two kids. I had my first uh, child in my early 30s. Um, I guess I'd, I'd come from a, quite a big family. I actually didn't know my father for the first 20 years of my life, but uh, I always wanted kids. Um, but it had to be like, kind of the right time, you know, in terms of being able to su- support them in the proper way uh, with the right person. So. I took my, my, well, you can tell me whether it's quite early or late having a child in your uh, early 30s, probably about average, actually. Um, but yeah, I, I, in the back of my mind, I'd always wanted kids. Um, and, you know, I just felt like a good time, had a good job, you know, bought a house, settled down with a, a long-term partner, who I'm not with anymore, by the way. <laughs> And then, you know, yeah, she wanted children as well. So it just seemed to kind of fall into place. It's almost like a subconscious thing, isn't it? I think you just kind of feel like, yeah, you know, now you're ready. Um, kind of, it's kind of bookmarking a, a period in your life as well. I think, you know, there's kind of my, my roaring twenties going out and partying in Liverpool and, you know, two or three nights, uh, going to clubs and going to the pub on a Sunday afternoon and hanging out with friends all the time. And, you know, it's amazing. And actually, I'd give up anything to, to go back to those times sometimes. But uh, also, you know, after like, you know, a number of years doing that, you kind of think, you know, there is more to life. And uh, I wanted to kind of change things up really and and um, and settle down almost. Al Booth is a father of two and hosts the How to Be a Dad podcast. It was quite traditional. It was just a uh, date for a bit, get engaged, talk about having children. Try for child. We were so lucky. Um, we were so lucky because we thought, right, now's the time. We've got the house, got a new build house. We moved in. We thought, now's the time after we've been together. Uh, so, Alpha's 2017. We're together. Into, so, we've been together three and a half years. We thought, right, we'll try. Um, we thought, we'll try. No. We thought, we'll try for a baby. If we don't have a baby, we don't get pregnant soon, we'll get married because we'd already started looking at wedding venues. And we were so lucky because we tried for a baby and got pregnant pretty much straight away. Um, and yeah, and, and that was that was that with child number one. And it was all quite straightforward. And we're so lucky. Everything came back as it should. He came out pretty much as he should. And finding out you're going to be a dad 
It's probably a magical experience, right? I was in Sainsbury's in the car park and I had a WhatsApp from her and it was the pregnancy test and it was two red lines. And she said, look, just said, look, two red lines. And I thought I just, I just naturally associated like red marks with school. And I was like, oh no, oh, it doesn't matter. It's okay. It's, you know, we're, it's just, we've just started trying. We'll try again. It's okay. And she went, just messaged me going, what are you talking about? I think you need to call me. And yeah, turns out that was the, that was the moment that in movies, there's all like orchestras playing and everyone rushes into each other's arms. But no, I just didn't understand how it worked. Episode three of our podcast looked at the fertility crisis that's affecting men. We spend a lot of our lives paranoid about pregnancy, but very rarely does it happen right away for couples. Jim Coulson again. Our first child um, took ages. We were trying for a long, long time. Um, In fact, I was vegetarian at the time. And because we'd been trying for a long time, I was just kind of like, well, is there anything I can do? And uh, I read somewhere that a vegetarian diet wasn't necessarily that good for conceiving. so. I um I gave up being a veggie, started eating meat again, and genuinely within a couple of months we were expecting. We I don't know whether it was connected. I don't because you know you read a lot of stuff on the internet. Who knows whether it's true or not? But for us, eventually it happened, and uh, and yeah, and we had our, our firstborn in 2013. So I would have been 34, which I guess is is quite old. Um, but you know, everyone's different, aren't they? And, um, and yeah, it was, it was great. And then we had, uh, our second, a few years later, he was born three and a half years later. Uh, and that just happened sort of almost straight away. And then I went for a vasectomy because two children is plenty. Um, I don't want to be outnumbered and you really, you do have control over whether you're outnumbered or not. And that it's, I wanted to exert that control. I love my kids. They're amazing. But I don't want to go through that baby stage anymore. For me, the baby stage is not the one. That's not the best bit. It just gets better and better and better after that. The baby stage is something that you just have to get your tin hat on and endure and just get through it. And then eventually it comes good. Even for those of us without kids, we have some awareness of the sleepless nights and endless crying. But the stress and anxiety of parenthood starts well before you've changed your first dirty nappy. Al Booth explains. Um, but it is, then you're just worrying until they're here, really. Because you get excited, but you don't want to get too excited. Um, it's a bit like if you get offered your dream job and you haven't signed the contract, you know, or you take your driving test. Someone always, someone once told me, don't tell anyone you've, you've, you're taking your driving test until you've passed it. And it is the same thing almost it's it's that you know you don't want to sort of go yeah right we're gonna buy this we're gonna buy this we plan this we'll plan this because there's so nine months is a long time and there's so much that that could go wrong and and you know you get the results back of um whether they are going to have uh problems in birth or in life with health issues and, and stuff so you have to go for scans and you go for the the tests that all that ensues and then there's you know what if they do have something then it's just yeah it's a lot of anxiety it's so strange it's such a a conflict in time because you are naturally excited obviously but just naturally really just just worry you know but at least the birth is an exciting magical experience uh my brother-in-law my like his son was born the year before our son and he was like it's the most amazing thing when you meet them instantly you never know love like it and I was like, oh, this is going to be incredible. So when he was in labour, he kept he kept coming forward. It's going to ruin my partner's dignity. Kept coming forward, and then you could see his hair, and then he would go whoop, go up again, and then come out and go up. Um, and they had to they had to try and relax my partner, but also then give her um, epidurals, the drugs, and then his heartbeat would drop really low. And you're there as the sort of I don't know. You feel a bit of a not you feel a bit of a spare part because you are because you haven't got had a human inside you for nine months and then you know you're trying to get it out. So when that happened, the doctors came in and my partner's looking at me going, "Is everything all right?" And you can you're down the other end and you can see the monitors low and you can hear them and 
you're just trying to smile and go, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's fine. But also you're like really worried. You're scared because you might lose your child you've not met yet. So there was that that kind of went on and off for an hour or so. Um, but they seemed to seem to monitor it. And then eventually he came out and I was waiting for that. Oh, this is like love that I've never known before. And my first two thoughts were, one, he's got a head like an alien because they had to use the Vontuse, which is where they sucker them out. So he had a really pointy head. Um, and my other thought, oh, this is, I feel so bad and I wish it wasn't this. I just looked at the clock and I was like, I generally don't, because he was born at five to four in the morning. I generally don't know when I'm going to get to sleep again. That was my instant thought. I was like, which is terrible. And I'm still having that thought five years on, to be honest. But, but yeah. But then when you kind of, that comes out, that's so weird. Um, but when that all that's done and then you, they clean him up and they give him to you and it is just, you're just so aware of your position in the world all of a sudden. It's just, it's funny because you do just have to know you're going to look after them. And actually it doesn't matter about, like all the stuff you mentioned, all the, the, the money and everything like that, you just know that somehow you will just look after them. You'll just love them and you'll make sure they're somehow they're, they're fed and they're warm. And that's it's such a primal thing, really. Barrington Reeves is a dad of four, including one set of twins. I was at the birth. I was buzzing. It was exciting, but it was also scary, like, watching this child emerge. And it's like, oh, my God. Just, wow. It's like, to see it, it's just this awe-inspiring experience, but it's quite scary as well because it's like the evidence of this life is in my hands now, and like hold it, holding him, like woof, it's like so fragile. You know, you, you, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it fully. It's just awe and joy and scary it's everything that's the only way I can describe it it's everything it is everything but the overwhelming experiences of joy and happiness and excited and it's like wow but in that as well there are different. there's different emotions and each I suppose each birth is different. And when the twins were born and they were like 13 minutes apart, it's like this one popped out. Wow. Okay. The second one's popped out. Oh my God. Oh, it's like, oh gosh. Like, and I'm holding both of them. And it's like, you're looking at them. Who's who and which is which. And does one look like me? And it's just, it's just crazy. Because you don't, there's no one thing that you can kind of put your finger on and say, I felt that or I thought that. It's just a blur. But in it, there's this nice, warm feeling that, oh my gosh, they're healthy and they're alive and they're breathing. And it's like, yeah, you, it, it takes your breath away. I think I've had I've had a connection with all my children because during the pregnancy I connected with them in the womb. I'd rub a, I'd rub the you know rub my partner's belly and talk to the baby and the fetus and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And it's interesting now. Um, working with this new baby observation that that's some of the things that the, the sharing with men to do with the new babies. But I didn't know about this new baby observation tool. I just did it by instinct. And I think most men do that because that actually creates the connection. And the more that you do it and the more that you see the child responding in the womb is the more that you want to do it because it's developing that connection. Okay, but you've got your child now. Things are plain sailing from here, right? I'll move. 
oh yeah that car drive home that journey from the because it's mad they just give you this child <laughs> they just give you a baby like it's harder to get out of tesco having done a shop than it is to leave a hospital with your baby it's like right you can go now i'm like brilliant who's going to come home and show us how everything works then no one so you're just carrying the baby in the little car seat thing holding it really tight with two hands so it's so it's barely moving um get it in the car everything's like really slow motion and gentle and then Kerry sat in the back with him and then yeah you're on the motorway and you know I commute an hour to work each day an hour there an hour back each day windows down music blowing whatever you're carefree ah but that was so intense that drive home just it was only about 20 minutes on the motorway but so intense and then you you get in the house and you're just like a bit like the the thing with a sleep. You're like, well, this is it. This is just, this is life, but we're with a stranger. We don't know him. He doesn't know us. This little thing. And you can't really do anything because they're not at toddler stage yet. And they're just, they're just there and they all cry. And then you have to work out if they're crying because they're hungry or because they're nappy or they're tired. And, um, and then you're just deprived of sleep. Like Kerry and I used to wake up in the middle of the night and have arguments about things that we dreamt about because we were still so tired that we think, I remember going, why have you eaten my dressing gown? I was like, what are you on about? I haven't eaten your dressing. You ate my And then she go, oh no, no, it's a dream. So yeah, um, it's just, it's just strange. Jim Coulson. It's just hard. There's no sleep. There's a little bundle of tears and screams that has no way of telling you what's wrong with it. Although, actually, to be fair, when they can tell you what's wrong with them as well, it doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> like sometimes you just can't help. But, um, but yeah, it's just they don't do a lot. You know, they look cute. Yeah. And you get lots of nice cuddles. That's nice. And lots of people come around and queue at your baby. But it, it is tough as far as I'm concerned, especially ours were quite tough kids and they start teething and then you get the sleepless nights and, uh, and it's just a constant worry as well. I was talking about this with some mates the other day that, um, especially your firstborn, everything's like a worry. Everything's like a concern. Everything's just checking every moment. Guys, is, is, is she still breathing? Is, is, is that the right thing to do? And it's a lot, le- a lot more relaxed with your second, but, Still, there's lots of concerns about small children. You know, do we have to sterilize everything? You know, well, are they going to pick anything up off the floor? We've got a dog. Is that going to be a problem? Um, and I prefer it when they're just a bit bigger and they're just kind of easier to deal with and a joy to deal with as well, because you can have actual conversations with them as well. It is completely terrifying. Um it, it, exhilarating in some ways you know it's like wow you know this is a thing that we've created and uh, we get to look after them and but in other ways yeah it's just like every moment of every day when they're in that baby stage they're completely relying on you um and you have to be there and you have to make the right decisions or if you make the wrong decisions you have to make the right decision then as quickly as you can because you made the wrong one and you just don't know what the right decision is. Dan Flanagan is a father of one. It's terrifying. The first night we brought my son home, nobody told us how deeply newborns actually sleep. So you're on hypervigilance anyway. You're waking up every 15 minutes to make sure the child's all right. And my little bugger of a son would slept so deeply that we thought he wasn't breathing. So at half three in the morning, we called out the an ambulance because we were terrified that something had happened to him. The ambulance people came along, slapped him on the arse. He cried absolutely fine. But we didn't have any sort of extended family or network around us to be able to tell us any of those sort of little um, those stories. We had to kind of make it up as we went along. So I'd, I'd read the books, I'd read the, the blogs and stuff that were out there, but nothing nothing actually resonated with me sleep was non-existent um the pressure of work was intense and because babies are so small and so fragile you immediately think you're going to break them 
and but they're, they're pretty hardy things you know so when i if i've relaxed i don't know if i truly have to be honest there's still work to do and my, my son's 10 but you know I, I know now that if he falls over he's not probably going to seriously hurt himself dan was raised by his dad as a single parent which has given him a unique view on parenthood i, I think i always wanted to be a dad um, I certainly always wanted a, a son. It goes back to when I was a when I was a child. Unfortunately, my my mum was really ill, and my my parents got divorced, and my my dad got custody of me and my three sisters in the seventies and eighties, which was highly 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 unusual. So I was able to see things. First of all, the abject lack of support there was there, because you know there, there were single parent. Uh, events and clubs but primarily they were there for mums that wore dungarees and voted for cnd which obviously i do but my dad didn't fit into that he was quite a successful businessman that run you know a large organization suddenly through the hand of fate he's got me as a five or six year old and three teenage girls to deal with you know it was it was an interesting and eye-opening time so I knew so I, I always wanted to be a dad um, I love being a dad I think it's an exceptional privilege but it, it comes at a large cost not just financially but emotionally spiritually it's physically exhausting but there's very little support there for dads that want to be active parents becoming a parent yourself can change how you view your relationship with your own dad Jim Coulson. Yeah, I guess I've. Uh, what was I? Th- I was thinking about something earlier today, um, and something that I'd never appreciated until I just thought about it today, based on the knowledge of what I have now of being a a kid. And I guess that, like, I d- I don't think I've ever been ungrateful about for my parents, for my dad. Um, but maybe there were times when I didn't realize sort of the sacrifices or the way that he went out of his way to help me out when I was younger because I just kind of took it for granted maybe. Um, because you, you do, you do, you would do anything for your kids and I would do anything for my kids. And, you know, that's why, you know, we do the really kind of, tricky logistical getting them to after school clubs and getting them fed and stuff and taking one to one place and one to the other place you do that just because you want them to have the richest experience and you know the the best life that you can make for them and i don't i don't think i'd really thought about that i I mean i knew that you know my parents were um were great and were you know were really loving and i'd had a great kind of upbringing but I never really thought about the 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 details of it, and I, well, I, was, I was thinking about today. <laughs> really, random. it was sparked by something my kids were watching on telly, and they were watching a um, a cartoon, and in it there was like a character on TV, and they'd used this sort of old sort of fuzzy TV filter to make it look like it was on the telly, which I thought was strange because like kids who are watching that now don't know telly like it used to be when you got it through an aerial and you had to kind of move the aerial around. And that made me think about the sort of, when I had a TV in my room and I had one of those rubbishy little aerials that you put on top of your telly to try and get the reception. Oh God, like I'm really aging myself with this. Um, <laughs> and and it, it, I had it in my room when I was a kid and it was awful. It was no good at all. And then, I was thinking about how I'd obviously must have said that to my dad and he'd gone out and he'd bought like a roof aerial and gone up and stuck it in the loft and stuff and connected it all together. And there was no question about that at all. He'd just gone and done it. And I just thought that's a right effort to go to just so I can watch telly in a slightly less fuzzy manner. And and it was, it was just one of those things that came up that I was like, Oh yeah, actually if I asked him to do something, he would just do it no matter how much out of his way. And now I think about that now and I think that's a bit, that's a day wasted, right? That's a day spent going to the DIY shop, coming back, putting it up, you know, 
labor and stuff like that. And obviously I would do it for my kids and he did it for me. And I kind of made me appreciate things like that, which I think at the time I'd just gone, oh, yes, my dad, that's what he does. And now I thought, oh, actually, no, that is going out of his way because he probably had better things to do that day than do that. While our idea of parenting roles are changing and dads are becoming more active and involved in raising children, we are still in a transition period. Dan Flanagan. Yeah, I think um, in the early part of my life, especially when we were babies, my, you know, my dad was very busy building his, his business. Um, and he used to make a joke that he had four kids, but he never changed a nappy. You know, men like him, it it was seen as feminine to push a pram around or do anything like that. Where I was right the other way. And I was very proud of my role. And I remember um, going to see my dad and it's like, baby needs changing. And he's like, oh, 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 what are you know? Well, just going to do it. He said, oh, doesn't it make you sick? So, yeah, but baby needs changing. End, end of story. So I saw, um, I think he became enlightened, if anything. Um, and in mine, I suppose, a lot more sympathy for the pressures that he he must have gone through, but he never spoke about it. You know, he, he never showed any vulnerability or weakness in that but you know looking for looking after four kids on his own he must have had some really dark times and often there is still a stigma around men taking care of children but then it's it's trying to find that line between not wrapping up in cotton ball and being seen as completely irresponsible because the rest of the parents can be really judgmental um and especially if you're a dad, because mums know best. So you get that added, those things, that you know, when you're out with your child. Oh, aren't you a good boy for ta- you know, giving mum a bit of a day off? Or do you want me to do that? I was like, no, I'm quite capable of changing a nappy, thanks. Wouldn't mind if there's more changing facilities in men's toilets. You know, that would be helpful. But I think I've kind of got this covered. It's trial by public um, or... You know, a lot of our dads have gone through, you know, some quite traumatic, you know, separation, divorce things, you know, myself included. And our stories are never, ever heard. Uh, the narrative around that, to be honest, I was pretty engaged in the school run and organising activities and stuff. When I separated from my ex-wife, I was Jimmy Savile's wingman. You know what I mean? Distasteful, to put it politely. As well as being a dad, Barrington Reeves has spent most of his working life supporting families and particularly dads and currently runs the Sowing Seeds Project in Manchester. If you think of fatherhood globally, I think what's happened is that the roles, the roles, the idea of fatherhood and the actual role of fatherhood have been redefined. It's been redefined, but it's been in it's been redefined in terms of how society functions. So that so that the need for men to be in the home in the beginning, and I'll use that quote unquote, wasn't there. Men were out. So with the rise of feminism the understanding of patriarchy and that men's roles were more physical. So that need for men to be out grafting as such has declined and it's declined since the second world war in the Western world, but in other, other countries around the world, there's still, there's still some of that. So I think it's in the Western world, fatherhood has been redefined and men men haven't caught up with the fact that that's been, that's re, been redefined for them because men now are wanting to be at home and play a more active role in their children's lives, whereas before that wasn't necessarily the case 
and that's what's made the change but it's how how do those two things the idea of it and the actual practical application have changed and more men are wanting to do that or are being forced into doing that so it's like a transition and I think men are still in that transition but it's contradictory because women want and have got their their kind of bag they're out there they're working they're doing all these things but if you look if you look at men in that same kind of sphere it doesn't work or it doesn't it's not it doesn't happen and if it does happen they're being defined as not man enough and that that fathering role is 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 defined within that kind of dimension and it's it's contradictory so men are trying to negotiate that contradiction as fathers if a man is a if there's there's lots of single fathers but nobody thinks as men as being single fathers and that's for me i define it as this this men and masculinity men stroke fathers because fathering is a is a role that a man undertakes like mothering is a role that a woman undertakes it doesn't define who and what they are as human beings but society is deemed a woman is a mother and that's who she is and then the rest of what she does is an add-on whereas a man is a man Sowing seeds came out of the fact that I was working in health and so I used to be working in family support with social services and two of my colleagues worked in leaving care with Bernardo's and one worked with 42nd Street, which is a young people's mental health um, charity. And one of my friends he worked on a national project with Bernardo's called the Baby Father Initiative, which was focused on working with Caribbean, African and Caribbean men and fathers because the author, Patrick Augustus, had written a book called Baby Father and it was just a, a book about the experiences of being a man and being a father in the Caribbean community and all the issues. So they, they developed this project nationally to engage with black men and fathers so sowing seeds came out of that but in the midst of that i ended up having my three children the, the the three younger children by myself so it's kind of apt that being a single father and then talking about fatherhood experiences i kind of started doing that so it was born out of that so the four of us as individuals set up sowing seeds to facilitate that Bernardo's project. And then when that project kind of not finished, I kind of decided we'll, we'll, we'll carry it on and carry on the work from that Baby Father initiative to work with men and fathers. And it kind of grew from there. We facilitated men's groups um black men caribbean men especially um and then it kind of expanded where we worked with the caribbean women because they were always up in arms about why are men having men's groups and women are not included so we involved them and then me being the cheeky person that i am took the findings from the men's groups to the voluntary sector networking organization and shared this is what we're doing in terms of men and fathers and these things are not being addressed. So it kind of helped bring us more to the fore in Manchester because I think men and fathers were was on the agenda because the labour labour was kind of men friendly at that time. Um, 
and then you know we got I got co-opted onto um, a voluntary sector rep as a voluntary sector rep on a board in the Children and Families Forum, and then the council co-opted me to be a volunteer a voluntary sector rep on their parenting board and Children and Families Services board, and it kind of just developed from there where I was just pushing the agenda about men and fathers and using policy and legislation to get, to just have discussions and get the agenda on on the table. With the best will in the world, relationships can end and being a single parent dad or even a dad who co-parents can bring its own unique challenges. Dan Flanagan again. Being a dad and being a middle-aged man can be really quite lonely but we're just not built in the way to put our hands up and say we need support. But that has some really, you know, terrible side effects. Unfortunately, there's, you know, there's 96 men under the age of 45 being lost every single week to suicide in this country. And it's because men don't talk. And that really, really needs to change. So, um, you know, I started this because I reached middle age, you know, I, I was commuting. Um, I'd realise I'd get home very late at night if I was lucky to see my son. And then on the Saturday, I'd have to go to the park on my own. I'd go to soft play on my own. And then my my dad, unfortunately, was, became very, well, he was very ill for previously for a few years, but he passed away. And I did the typical man thing of not talking about it. I just put it to one side and... Um, carried on with life but then six months later it came back and it bit me really hard yeah I became very very ill and that made me really reassess things so I I ended up giving up that commute Um, starting again I was blogging about being a dad and you know one day I, I just got fed up of going to mother and baby groups and feeling like an outsider or not having the ability to organize play dates so I put a flag in the ground and says, you know, does anybody want to play with me? You know, sometimes it's easier. You know, you remember when you were a kid and you want somebody to play with, you just wander around the park, put your hand up, you know, who wants to play army? No girls. Suddenly you've got a group of 15 friends to play with. Can't do that as a man. Certainly not as a middle-aged man. Dan set up Dadly Soul, a parenting group for dads. We used to meet up in a pub once a month and you'd have, 20 or so blokes that were strangers, we'd go around and go, right, so what was your excuse for not coming tonight? Uh, and you'd say, uh, uh, work's too busy, kissing it. And it's basically because we're socially awkward. We don't want to walk into a strange place with people we don't know. So we kind of got away from all of that. And, you know, pretty much everybody is welcome. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in your bank, what you do for a job. The bottom line is those three letters, D-A-D. There's your common thread right away through it. I don't care, you know, what background it you you come from. So it, yeah, it's, it's sort of grown. We've got seven active groups. We partner with social housing providers, tech innovation centres. We're working with a couple of universities on research projects to change the, you know, the narrative around modern day fatherhood. And it's lovely. It's a really safe community. But rather than waiting for, you know, the point of crisis where if men actually ask for help, then they have to go into a room, sit in a circle and bear their inner feelings. We'll put on a DJ workshop, stand-up comedy. We'll put on the VR headsets, a game of pool, you know, come and have a beer. So the dads can come along, build some relationships, and through that, then they start really opening up. So it becomes a very potent thing. As well as being a fun and active social group for dads and their kids... They also try to address some of the more difficult challenges of parenthood. You don't want to be seen as weak or a victim, you know, or all of those those names that were probably called in the playground. You know, you, you've got to be stand up, you've got to be staunch. You've got to take it on the chin, you know, we are, we're a nation of men. Um, and it's nonsense, it's absolutely nonsense, because that's where all these issues happen, you know, where it's, it's down in your sorrows, you know, but too much alcohol or substance abuse or, you know, domestic violence. And it just needs to come out in a really healthy way where it's not not judged. You know, we've had dads 
open up about their, you know, their kids transitioning or um, dads whose children have got additional needs and, you know, the fact that maybe they'd always had this vision of having a little baby Johnny and going down the football with him. And now they can't. But they can't say that out loud. Or, you know, we've had dads that have um, come to terms with their own sexuality much later in life. But where do they go? You know, because they don't want to go to a niche support group because they don't fit in there. But what they can do is come and talk to the lads and just get a bunch of, you know, shoulders to cry on or, you know, advice or signposts. You know, none of us are, apart from our, you know, our resident conflict and um, conflict resolution expert, we're just everyday blokes. That's exactly, it takes a village mentality to, to raise a child. But I've been very privileged to hear some really heartwarming and, you know, heartbreaking stories of these men. But if you met them in the flesh, you wouldn't think that they're going through this because they present in a very different way. It's only when you dig a little bit deeper and you open up these conversations like the ones we're having. Enjoying this podcast? Support our work by leaving a rating or review on your favourite podcast app. The Problem with Men podcast. COVID and lockdowns have led to more dads working from home or working flexibly, allowing them to have more time with their kids. This is something we should fight to keep as the normal position. And the Ahmed Welsh again. Yeah, I think, like I said before, I think it's it's kind of um, I've be I've always had the hybrid working roles, apart from that one job when uh, my child was quite young. So it's not been a radical uh, change for me, to be honest. Um, so you know, it's it's great to see that like a lot more people are able to, a lot more men uh, are able to, you know, have that more hands-on approach because you know I am so 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 grateful for being able to watch my kids grow up. Uh, you know, being able to get to the school plays, being able to go to the bake sales occasionally after school and things like that. It's, uh, it's those little things that actually, you know, I think if I look back, I won't have any regrets because I've kind of been there. Oh, I love it. Uh, you know, you could, I could always be more active, but um, I, uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. You know, the, I, like I said, I think the kids are the best thing that I've ever done with my life. Uh, and I think my... My goals, my ambition. I've, I was talking to my uh, my partner about this actually. You know, she's very ambitious. As she kind of went through that journey as a mum, she had the kids. She had a really good career, had kids, and took a lot of time out to to raise her kids. Um, and now she's kind of really got a bit uh, between the teeth, and she's back to uh, work, and she's really ambitious and, and driven to to get back to where she she was uh, prior. Whereas, like I've always kind of managed to really strike an amazing balance between having a successful career uh, and, you know, being uh, quite present and hands-on with my kids. Um, you know, could I have had a more successful career if I kind of put my foot on the gas a bit more on, with that aspect? I could have, I think. Uh, I could have achieved more, uh, although, I, you know, mod- moderately, moderately successful. Um, but for these past few years, it's, for me, it's all been about balance. Uh, and my son is going to go to secondary school next year um, you know and then with my daughter a couple more years and I think then I can kind of maybe look at roles which aren't as much hybrid maybe a bit more office focused and things like that as they get a bit older they don't want to know me uh, and I can, I can look through that again now but um, yeah I think um, I've been really lucky There's still a lot of work to be done to recognise the value that being an active dad can bring Jim Coulson I had a, a blog post that went sort of semi-viral a few years ago because I'd got this um, pot of Heinz ready-made baby food and on the side of it it said made by, made from a recipe by Sophie a mum just like you and it's like come on it's not just mums that feed kids surely and I think that I think marketing is really struggling 
to keep up with change because I think the change in the world is definitely the from what I see anyway and I can only speak from my own experience is that the dads that I know are so much more hands-on than a generation two generations three generations ago uh, and it's only going in one direction because you know we've got things like shared parental leave which I know is not had a lot of massive amount of uptake but that will get bigger and bigger um also people working from home now you know you've got both parents working from home so actually it's a lot easier for them to share the childcare responsibilities as well um and i think that the marketers have to catch up with this because there still are you know it's still recommended by mums or this is why mums love this or you know and it's it's ridiculous um and the way daddy pig in Peppa Pig is portrayed as well. That's a shocking one. I mean, justice for Daddy Pig is what I say because uh, he's treated like absolute dirt. But um, but I think it's getting better, and I think people are starting to realise that that you know dads are an active part of their child's life, and there is still the the imbalance in the kind of women especially early on, tend to do more of the childcare because obviously they have the child and they have to have, you know, a little bit of time off, obviously, at least. Um, and so they they are more likely to be with the child early on and especially if the child's breastfeeding. Um, but I think for after that, I think, we're, I think we're evening up a little bit. And, and yeah, I, I really, I don't think I've got anything to, to prove I don't think dads have anything to prove, but I just think we need, as society, as this generation kind of grows up and, you know, becomes more of the kind of mainstream, I guess that that will be reflected in in how the media, how the marketers view parenting. And, I, and parenting is getting a lot more equal uh, than it used to be. So I think that's a good sign. Projects like Dadless Soul and Sowing Seeds are crucial because as we learn time and time again on this podcast, men are terrible at opening up, asking for help and advice and sharing our fears. Reaching out to other dads can be quite simple though. I'll booth again. And then just one day, Kerry was at work, I think, had gone back to work. So Alfie was only about six months and he was just crying and crying and it was hot and just you know, I was in, had him in his nappy and, and he just wouldn't stop. And I just didn't know what to do. And because you, that's the difficult thing, because you can't communicate with them. So it's not like, right, just sit down, tell me what's wrong. They're just crying. And uh, yeah, I had that a few days and that really, I was really just having sort of, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what my role is here. I don't know how to do it. I thought being parenting, you just pick them up and hug them. And yeah, so I went back to the doctor then I was really struggling, but um, I got put on some medication. But apart from that, I think, I think, yeah, dads could get more support, but, um, I think we, yeah, out the two of us, any, but that's not just dads. That's any, you know, any mental, and if you're feeling down about work or anything, you should always try and talk to someone about it, share it, go and see the GP. It's the basic thing. I would absolutely recommend that. Um, it just so happened my, my trigger was being a parent at that time, but I think, yeah, yeah, I think if you can support your partner, because I don't know if this is an old fashioned view, but support your partner because they've been through the labor, the the pregnancy, the labor, everything afterwards, but then have somewhere where you can go and you can chat. And funnily enough, recently we just started a WhatsApp group for the dads of of my son's school. And my partner's been on about it for ages because she's with all the mums. And I was like, it's not really dad thing to do but actually we just i just put it out there i was like look gary wants me to start this i get it if you're not interested it'd be quite nice to meet up and everyone's come back and we can meet up and and we just we talk about we talk about the kids in the way that the mums do and it's really interesting actually it's really nice that you just go other dads just talk about the kids and that's lovely and it's not a sort of oh i want to get away because you see all these loads of social media accounts where it's like oh no you know want to just sit down and have gin and, and blah, blah, blah. And they're all funny, but actually it's quite nice to be a dad. It's the best thing in the world for me since that I've ever done. And, uh, and just knowing other, other people share it, but also when it's hard, it's just quite nice to be able to go, look, Alfie's going through this phase at the moment. 
And actually, as I speak to you, he's going through this phase where he doesn't want to be left alone when he goes to bed and then he'll come in the middle of the night and get into our bed. And it's really hard. Um, and so just talking to other dads about that, that's really, that's really good. Cause you, you realize that, you know, Kerry's always like me and my mates from school who I'm still in touch with. They're always like my best friend, Ben will just go, uh, now then tubby, how are you? And I'm not particularly tubby. I'm a little bit, you know, a little bit middle-aged, but, but he always has done since school. She's like, women never talk to each other like that. And I was like, it's just, a, I call him baldy. He's got a full head of hair. I don't know why that stemmed from something when we were about 16 and I can't even remember what it is. But as well as that, we have the most open conversations about, and he's got, my friend Ben's got, um, his son's just started uni. So he's 18. He's got a stepdaughter who's 23 and his oldest daughter is 16 so i'll just go to him and say look this is happening with the kids and how do you cope and what do you do and he'll come back and you know just have real open conversations and the same with the the dads from the the group i think that's that's probably changed a lot that's probably is the most surprising thing actually because you just think it's going to be oh banter but i think everyone now is just is quite open yeah that's 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 a really nice side of it actually when it comes to parenting everyone seems to have an opinion but what do our dads think the most important thing is? Andy Ahmed Welsh. I think that's okay. It's okay to moan about your kids in private to other people. You know, if I, I, it's very cathartic, I think, to just have a, a win sometimes, a, a pain in the backside. And, you know, you, you have to be able to say, God, that was a tough day. You've been an absolute pain in the backside. Jim Coulson. Just keep going. Keep trying. Keep being kind and persist which makes it sound negative i don't really mean it in a negative way but i think you do it's you just have to continue what you're doing and keep working at things every day but it's worth it so the results are good so it's hard work but it is worth it in the end barrington reeves sort yourself out fundamentally 100% holistically sort your stuff out don't dodge anything because if you do your children will bring it back to your front door with a vengeance and they will kick you to bits that's what I would say children are one of the best things that a man can have in their life because it improves them and to listen to your children Listen to them, pay attention, be present. And if I would say, if you're not with your children, you're separated, divorced, whatever, even if you can't see your children, think beautiful things about your children. Send them cards, send them birthday gifts, send them little things, small things that make a difference. So when they come back to see you or they come to find you, you can actually say, I sent you cards, I wrote your letters, I sent you a birthday. Do you know what I mean? Because children feel those things. Let that little child inside of you come out and play with your children. Like you're a little child, you're ramping with yourself and that other self is your child. Ramp, play, be silly. Be vulnerable, do daft shit. Really doesn't matter. I suppose in 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 in, in the the current social <laughs> social social environment, be confident in who you are. Be confident in who you are, because social media has a way of defining and constructing all of these different ideas and beliefs about who you are as a person and it can ruin somebody's self-concept and that whatever you i'll say it like this your life is your mirror whatever's in your life is a reflection of who you are good bad and indifferent if you don't like what you see in your life you have the opportunity to change it. I'll move. Just do hugs. Just do hugs, even when they think they're too cool to have hugs. Just do hugs. Now, the number one rule is just, yes, yeah, that, and it just love them. It's so simple, I think. Just 
just love them. But also um, make sure you always have a bottle of Jack Daniels in. I think that's that's it. And if you're interested in joining a parenting group for dads, Dan has you covered. So um, we're on all the social media channels. So that's at Dadlasoul, D-A-D-L-A-S-O-U-L. The website's dadlasoul.com or you can email me, um, which is just dan at dadlasoul.com. We've got the... So our, our events are primarily around the Sussex uh, area, but we've got a thriving WhatsApp group. We've got a, a private uh, Facebook group, and that has members, like I said, from all over the world. And it's men coming up just to put a flag up. You know, they want some help. They want some ideas. They want to share a really good joke that nobody appreciates. So you can just come along and join us. It's open to everybody, all our events, they're done pretty much on a donation basis. Um, so it shouldn't just be for, you know, nice middle class people to be able to access the service. It really is for everybody. Links to Dan's group, as well as our other dance podcasts and blogs about fatherhood, are also in the episode description and on our website at theproblemwithmen.co.uk. And of course, this wouldn't be a podcast that truly recognised dads without a few dad jokes. Andy Ahmed Welsh. So, uh, two bits of road walk into a bar, um, and they walk up to the bar, these two grey bits of tarmac, and they go to the barman, barman, give me a whiskey now on the house. It's not really age appropriate for young kids, I suppose. So the barman um, goes, I'm not going to give you a whiskey on the house, you need to pay for it, and the grey bit of tarmac goes, give me a whiskey on the house now, or we're going to smash the place up. So the, the barman uh, goes oh okay don't want any trouble boys don't want any trouble so he goes and gets uh, a whiskey gives him the whiskey the great bit of tarmac drinks it and his mate goes leave the bottle barman or we're gonna smash the place up so the barman's like okay boys I don't want any trouble so he leaves a bottle of whiskey on the bar and these two bits of tarmac are going yeah we are really really tough guys us you know and then this red bit of tarmac walks into the pub and the two grey bits of tarmac like stop talking and look at him and then the red bit of tarmac goes uh, orange juice please barman uh, so the barman gives him the orange juice and the red bit of tarmac goes here's £10 keep the change and the barman's like oh fantastic thank you and the two grey bits of tarmac scurry off into the corner the red bit of tarmac drinks his orange juice says thank you barman and walks out the door when he leaves the two grey bits of tarmac walk back to the bar and uh, the barman goes I thought you said you two were really tough. And they go, yeah, we're tough, but he's a psychopath. <laughs> Jim Coulson. I've got loads of them. <laughs> How long have you got? Um, no, my favourite dad joke is, why did the baker have smelly hands? Because he needed a poo. <laughs> Al Booth. Favourite dad joke? Well, this is this is one I read in the joke book when I was a kid, when I was about eight. Um, but I tell to my kids and they love it because it's got a certain word in it so um what do you get if you cross a skunk and a bear winnie the pooh i'm just i'm really gritty that's still making me laugh now and finally dan sums up what it's really all about i've got a, a, a photo of this i remember i had my son he's about four or five days old and he's just lying behind me, beside me on the couch, and I'm sitting there trying to do a bit of work. And he just looked at me. And I had, it was almost like my heart had opened, and I got this huge rush of love, something that I've never felt so strongly in my entire life. I thought, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I'm going to make it my life's work to make sure nothing bad happens to you this has been the problem with men podcast thank you so much for listening please do support the work we're doing by leaving a review or recommending us to a friend we've got loads of episodes planned and we'd love to hear from you if you have a story or suggestion you can reach us on most of the mainstream social media sites and you can contact us via the website at theproblemwithmen.co.uk. Until next time, goodbye. The Problem With Men podcast is an Octopus Industries production. 
produced and presented by Chris Dodd and produced by Sandra Kabasinguzi. 